It takes a lot of hard work and guts to make it in Detroit, and no one knows that better than Carhartt. Since 1889, Carhartt's been making the toughest, most trusted gear for anyone who outworks them. Because from field to farm and all sites in between, Carhartt's got your back for whatever lies ahead. Hi, this is Dan Dickerson. You're listening to the Road to Detroit podcast. With our good friend Dan Hastings. Take it away, Dan. Well, wow. Uh, hello? Uh, is this thing on? Does this thing still work? Hello? <laughs> it's been a minute. It is the Road to Detroit podcast. It is an off-season edition of the RTD presented by Carhartt. It's good to talk with you all again. You know, it's crazy. We have not done an episode of the Road to Detroit since a new position of baseball leadership was announced and embarked upon over three months ago. So we have a lot to get to. That's basically what that means. This show will be different. This is an off-season show. It's not going to follow the formats of the shows that we do during the season. Usually we're reading stats. Usually we're telling you what people have done over any given week. We don't have that. In lieu of that, what we have is a ton of news. We have a lot to get to because when you haven't done a show in three months, there's a lot to unpack. Coming up on this episode of The Road to Detroit, we will talk with the Detroit Tigers minor league player and pitcher of the year, Kerry Carpenter, our favorite Dick Sporting Goods employee, is in the house to hang out and give us a recap of a season that saw him go all the way up to the Detroit Tigers and actually play pretty well once he got there. So he's certainly earning that extra look next season, and the Tigers might be in a spot where they might do some platooning, especially in the outfield, and Kerry Carpenter being a left-handed bat has a chance to get his talents maximized. So we will talk to Kerry Carpenter. He's one of our favorites. And, Nate, I know that you really enjoyed him. He was easy to root for and easier to enjoy, even and, just listening to him last year. And even easier to interview. <laughs> I mean, he he's well-spoken, um, obviously just a really humble person. Um, and I think it's just easier to gravitate towards people like that. When you carry yourself uh, the way that Kerry carries himself, I think it's just it makes it easier to root for that particular player, and obviously he he came into his own. I mean, he owned his moment, um, and so I think that was that was my favorite part about you know cheering him on and seeing his successes. Obviously, obviously the humility, but you know he's blossomed into something special. We didn't get a chance to get too close of a look at Gary Carpenter. However, we did get the chance to see the real breakout of Wilmer Flores. Granted, it was only over a handful of innings during the early parts of 2022. But it came to a point where I remember you and I just looking at each other in the booth and just saying, whoa. Yeah, and it, it just seemed so natural. Everything about his approach, his movement uh, to his attitude, um, he just kind of he just kind of free and easy, uh, never really seemed tense. But, you know, I know that the Tigers have always loved drafting physically big baseball players whether that's pitchers, whether that's hitters. They love the projectability of big ball players. Wilmer Flores fit that, but then he also brought the fastball. He also brought the breaking ball along with it. Wilmer so, Flores is built like a horse. <laughs> he's massive. So he had both to go with that and obviously the positive, feel-good, go-lucky attitude that he always had. I felt like Wilmer just did everything the right way. It's funny. You think about his 
quote, big brother, and his big brother, I think, is about four <laughs> yeah. inches smaller and about 50 pounds lighter. At least. Also a Wilmer Flores, by the way, in case you have forgotten that. So we will talk to Wilmer Flores and Kerry Carpenter coming up in just a little bit. I'm Dan Hasty. Over there is Nate Wangler, our producer. What's up, Nate? What's going on? I'm happy to be back. And, yeah, there's a lot to catch up on that's happened this offseason. We think we have everything put down, and now I think we find ourselves in a place where – we try to figure out what in the world do you lead with here? There have been big trades. There is a new general manager. There are ballpark dimensions changing. <laughs> there are teams renovating their stadiums. But I think, like anything else, it's got to start at the top. The Tigers, as we know, have hired Scott Harris. And it, we'd be remiss if we didn't start there because we have yet to have an opportunity to speak on this. I hadn't said anything on social media. Nate hadn't said anything as well. You can find us on social media. You can find me at that Dan Hasty. You can find Nate at Wangler underscore Nathan. I've been trying to get him to get rid of Nathan forever. I haven't called him Nathan. <laughs> it's my full name. I don't know who calls him that. My so mom. we, <laughs> yes, it is probably your mother. I have been looking forward to this opportunity. I've been looking forward to meeting Scott Harris. Have not had the pleasure. But you look at the background and what you see in a lot of times when leadership positions change, you think about managers or head coaches, especially you see this like in football, where when one coach leaves, a very different and an opposite replaces that one. So you kind of go from a yin to a yang. And... I don't think that that's necessarily what this is because although Scott Harris is now in that position, I think it's easy to forget that many of the other people still within the Detroit Tigers are the same people today as they were a year ago, as they were two years ago. It's simply a different voice. And the background is impressive. We have seen his stops with the Chicago Cubs. He was a director of baseball ops there. Ended up as an assistant GM in 2018. Then ended up as the GM of the San Francisco Giants. He was with Farhan Zahidi, who's one of the more highly regarded baseball figures throughout the entire industry. And Scott Harris comes to Detroit as an innovative, fresh, young perspective to guide the Tigers into a very important part of their build. And when you listen to Scott Harris talk in his introductory press conference, you know he talked about... Not only just dominating the strike zone. Everybody wants to do that. That's not a unique strategy. But I did like the talk of taking calculated risks. I thought the idea of taking shots when appropriate is something that the Tigers haven't seen in a long time. Last handful of years, it has felt more like risk mitigation. And you can't win that way. Fortune favors the bolt. That's a cliche. I apologize for that. What's another good one? Scared money, don't make money. I like that one better. But now we're at this place as we sit going into the month of February where we've basically gotten a chance to see what a full offseason looks like given the current situation and state of the Tigers franchise. We have some moves to go over. But initial impressions, I really enjoyed listening to Scott. I liked what I heard. I thought that the vision was aligned with what the vision needed to be. Um, winning the modern game is very different than winning 10, 15, 20 years ago. 
you need to dominate within the margins. You need to dominate within player development. You can no longer spend your way to a World Series championship. Don't tell that to the New York Mets. But it is almost impossible to build a team without young, homegrown talent. And I know that's something that the Tigers have been trying to do for the last couple of years. We have been talking about many of the faces of what could be a helpful, stable group of Tigers' young players. We started with Casey Mize. That transformed into Riley Green and followed with Spencer Torkelson. And there have been others, the Matt Mannings, the Tarek Scoobles of the world. We have thoroughly enjoyed documenting their journeys. But notice what we were saying there? Pitcher, 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 pitcher. And what happens to pitchers? Well, nowadays, pitchers get hurt. Now, do position players get hurt? Sure. Are their injuries as potentially career-altering as a position player? No. That's why Riley Green gets hurt at the end of spring training, and he comes back, and he's fine. I'm excited to see what he looks like next season, especially with a clean liftoff in 2023. I think there's a real reason to think that he could be the catalyst we expected him to be last season. But the name of the game now is to supplement that and to continue to take those risks, calculated risks, to find the players to surround not only that young talent, but also established big leaguers. And one thing is clear about what Scott Harris was able to help build in San Francisco is that better than most major league teams, the San Francisco Giants the last couple of years really got a lot out of established big league talent. Some of it was their own. Some of it they brought in. But they went from a team that was sitting around the 500 mark to a team that won well over 100 games. And they didn't do it with this huge boom of minor league prospect help. They were out there competing with the Los Angeles Dodgers, a wrecking ball of a franchise, not in the National League, but throughout the baseball. So are there still questions as to how the minor leagues are going to look? Yes. But it's clear to see the reasons why the Tigers felt that Scott Harris was the right person to take them through this process. I liked what I heard. I thought it was a fresh face, and I thought it was an enjoyable take. Nate, what were your thoughts? I like what you said at the very end there about how it's kind of two-parted. You have to have a base. You have to be able to develop your talent and have that core of players, that young core of players that can carry you. But when he talks about calculated risks, Scott Harris, that is, on the other end of that, you have to have a willingness to spend money where it's right to spend money to surround that base by veteran MLB talent and have the two sides of the equation. I think what's most exciting to me about Scott Harris is the fact that he is only 37. And oftentimes the past is the best indicator of the future. He started working in the front office uh, with the Chicago Cubs in 2012, 2012 through 2017, working in a position as the director of baseball, helping construct that 2016 team. And the only reason why they win that World Series is because of the calculated risks they were willing to take. But it only started with the teardown in 2012, in 2013, when the Cubs were winning 50-some-odd games. 
that's the only reason why they were able to get to that end goal because of calculated risks and working under someone legendary like Theo Epstein, who's done it, done it in a couple of different places. So I like new, I love innovative, but I like the combination of having that base of major league talent, but also being willing to put the money where you need to to get that end result. Theo Epstein, Farhan Zaidi, I mean, these are some of the preeminent people in baseball leadership. Now, I know Theo Epstein's no longer a general manager. He's working with Major League Baseball. But Theo Epstein might be considered the greatest team builder in Major League Baseball history. That's what you become when you win a World Series with, I don't know, the Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs. So that's well-deserved. Farhan Zaidi is very well doc is very well known in baseball circles and is very highly regarded by a lot of people in those trusted circles. And look, I'd say this, you know, be careful what you wish for when it comes to spending money. I mean, it's good, it's important, but you have to get the right players. You have to make the right calls or else you're stuck. And look, money is opening up going forward, but this is where it gets tough for Tigers fans, where they have been watching this product now for so many years, by and large, not do a lot of big spending, big adding to the payroll, like they did when they went to the World Series back in 2006, like they were doing in 2012 when they had that great nucleus of Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder and Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, you know the names. But what you need is you need to have a team that can support those players coming, making a difference. Now, in 2006, of course, the Tigers had already signed Pudge Rodriguez, Maglio Ordonez, Kenny Rogers. These were all vital players to their 2006 success. They weren't going to the World Series without Curtis Granderson, who came up through the system, without Justin Verlander and Joel Zumaya players who were already in the system making it to the big leagues. So if you don't have one, you really can't have the other, at least if you're serious about winning a World Series. What does Scott Harris need? Well, first of all, he needs some people to help run things when it comes to the draft. They've got to find a way to be different. Rob Metzler is now a part of the Tigers organization. He comes in from the Tampa Bay Rays. He was running drafts for the Tampa Bay Rays. I've always, and I think a lot of people in baseball circles, have always just kind of sat back and, and realized when the Tampa Bay Rays have taken a particular player, it's almost as if when that one guy in your fantasy football league takes the sleeper and every year he seems like he has the right pick, you all just kind of look at each other and say, uh, I probably should have taken him. That's kind of what it feels like when you watch Tampa draft. And I know that they've done a lot of their best work on trades of players coming up through the minor leagues, but they have done so well with getting a lot of those draft picks that they've made in a place where they can establish value and thus they become assets. So what do you need if you're a team that is sitting in a place where they need the best kind of assets they can find from a draft perspective? How about pulling a win at the MLB draft lottery? The Tigers, who were supposed to pick number six overall, snuck their way into the top three. Go figure. The Detroit sports scene has seen some bad lotteries. <laughs> yeah. Some bad lotteries. Yep. But, of course, then the second they make one for baseball, the Tigers just get turned into Mario hitting a mushroom. Bloop, bloop, 
and they got bigger. And next thing you know, the pick goes up from six to three. So the Tigers end up getting the third overall pick in the draft. And it's not just the fact that they got the third pick, Nate. It's the fact that they got the extra bonus pool money. And now they can really have some fun and really do what they want come draft day. And we were talking about Rob Metzler. You know, we've mentioned this before. A lot of draft classes, similar rounds, players talent-wise, right around the same. A lot of draft classes, there isn't necessarily a steep drop-off in talent between any particular team. But it, it takes two things. And I think Rob Metzler has them spotting good talent and developing good talent. And if, you know, one of the common themes of this podcast so far has been, how can the Tigers be unique? How can they be different? Well, if you want to be unique and different and find almost a backdoor or or maybe the diamond in the rough, who do you go to? You go to one of the organizations that's been unique and different over the last 15 years and has made that kind of their hallmark, their calling card. They do things differently in Tampa. And for some reason, they've found the key to getting the most out of players that not aren't expected to have success, but continue to succeed above maybe what the expectations were. So they're they're taking steps in that direction. So I love that hire, and I'm excited to see what he can do at number three. There are some really interesting names that will be sitting there in that top three. And you now know that the Detroit Tigers, probably their number one prospect is going to be whoever that pick is. Right now that prospect is Jackson Job. Be excited to see what he looks like through the first couple of months of the season. We won't know the name for this pick until July because they will do this around the MLB All-Star break, which is, by the way, a terrible idea. Nobody likes the <laughs> fact that this draft happens so much later than it used to, and I can guarantee you that there's nobody sitting in that draft room that is psyched that they have to wait an extra month to make this pick. I digress. Dylan Cruz (laughs) is a dynamite outfielder from LSU. He's somebody that I'm sure will be in play potentially for the Tigers at three, may not even be there by that point. Right now he's considered the highest graded player. He's the one that they've considered the top prospect at this point. The Pittsburgh Pirates have the number one overall pick, so wouldn't be surprised to see them go that direction. But the Pirates have done some unique and different things, which we could very well see with Detroit, depending on how things go. But Washington and Detroit round out the top three. There's a right-hander from Tennessee. I think there's a lot of people that really think a lot of him. I know that the Tigers have obviously gone pitching many, many times in these situations. So We'd have to wait and see how things look. I think when it comes to players like that, they've got to be special. When it comes to a pitcher and so many things that can go wrong with pitching, especially as they go up the levels, I think they've got to be special. Another player that I really like is Max Clark, the outfielder from Franklin High School in Indiana. He was considered for a while to be the number one overall. And then some of these other players, Dylan Cruz, Chase Dollander, they kind of leapfrogged him. But Max Clark was always kind of considered to be the preeminent high school player in the country. And, you know, I think about the fact that Riley Green, and say what you will with Jackson Job, but when you've gone the high school route the last couple of times, the Tigers have been able to retain the level of an elite asset longer with a high school player than they have with some of these college players. It's fine if that college player is ready, but what you do is when you take a high school player, they are a chip. 
they are somebody that can continue to develop much more significantly, at least as what we've seen over the course of the last handful of years. There's a few others. Wyatt Langford is an outfielder from Florida that I think will get some traction. Jacob Gonzalez, a shortstop out of Old Miss. He's got a lot of fans as well. And Enrique Bradfield, a super, super athletic outfielder from Vanderbilt. You know, they have some good ball players at Vanderbilt. <laughs> There's a couple of guys that I think could be in play for the Tigers at number three. You know, and then it comes down to what direction do they take. The Tampa Bay Rays have been known to manipulate the draft board in a way that makes sense for them. So we'll see if those ideas or a confluence of those ideas and some of the other ideas kind of come together. Either way, it's a good position to be in. You've got the number three overall pick. It's a good problem to have. I look forward to seeing who ends up becoming that number three pick and eventually the Tigers' number one overall prospect. But you mentioned Rob Metzler. I mean, this is a guy that drafted a ton of players that have gone on to big-time success. Shane McClanahan, the dynamite lefty for the Tampa Bay Rays. He was starting the All-Star game last year. Really, really interested to see what, what things look like through his lens. And at some point, getting a chance to, to hear about what his ideas are and the things that he liked about Tampa, the things he wished maybe he could have changed, and how he thinks he's going to blend that all together. So that's the draft, and that's something that we'll put a pin in for now. But that is one of the best pieces of news that the Tigers could have possibly received this offseason. They get the better pick. They get the extra bonus pool money. And on top of that, they also picked up an extra competitive balance pick at the end of the first round. So now, the same area of the draft that gave the Tigers time add-in a couple of years ago, now the Tigers have another pick right in that area. So the Tigers are about to get an injection, an infusion of talent, and a much-needed one at that. On the minor league side, a lot of the coaching staffs were announced, and there are some familiar faces coming back to some of the levels. Erie gets Gabe Alvarez back. He saw his Seawolves team end up go to the final game of the regular season, ended up not pulling home the Eastern League Championship, but certainly got the Seawolves into a great position along with some of his coaches. Meanwhile, in West Michigan, Brian Pena is back. Let's go. Brian Pena is somebody that we had been hoping to see come back to West Michigan, and now we get a chance to see him for season number three. There's not a lot of times where a coach ends up at the manager stop at a minor league level for three years, but in talking to him, West Michigan was where he wanted to be. I think former players make the best managers, honestly, specifically at this level, because I think they just relate to the experience of the minor leaguer that much better. Um, but more than that, Brian Pena shows routinely that he's there for every single player individually as a person, and he set that culture in, of accountability in West Michigan in previous years and then on top of that, they've been able to win games. I mean, that second half last year was one of the best halves of baseball we've ever seen in West Michigan. And I think it's solely because he's been able to set that culture there and with more turnover in a single season last year than we've seen in many years past. So he had to deal with a lot as a manager, so special. West Michigan 41-24 and 24 in that second half, but Brian Pena kind of the epitome of you win over the player, and the player goes out and wins for you. He's Cuban Ted Lasso, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> also, Francisco Contreras, who was actually a player for West Michigan back in 2014, 2015. 
He ended up retiring after the West Michigan team won the Midwest League back in 2015 and then became a coach in the Tiger system. He has slowly matriculated his way up, and now he gets to come back to a familiar place. So congratulations to Francisco Contreras. Andrew Graham is back in low A Lakeland. Good to see Andrew Graham continuing along. Meanwhile, free agent signings. Well, we already have seen at the big league level what the Tigers have decided to do. A lot of the talent that the Tigers have ended up getting in has been via trade. So we'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit. But free agent signings in terms of the international signing period, Tigers ended up taking a couple of players who were regarded within the top 50, depending on what lists you were looking at. A catcher, number 32, Enrique Jimenez out of Venezuela. A lot of Venezuelan influence over this particular group. But he ended up with a $1.25 million signing bonus. We didn't see any of the big bonuses this time around. The last couple of years, we had seen big bonuses for particular players, and the Tigers would end up getting kind of a big fish. This time, they've spread it out. And Christian Perez, an outfielder who ended up just barely in the top 50, he signed for a little over a million reportedly out of the Dominican Republic. Meanwhile, the trades we were talking about, and these are the ones that, Nate, we were talking about a little bit as well. Let's start with the first one that happened. It was Joe Jimenez, who was traded from Detroit to the Atlanta Braves. And in return, the Tigers get a bat, and one that kind of fits the profile that I think Scott Harris had been looking for from the very beginning in Justin Henry Malloy. Yeah, and it kind of fits the profile that a lot of the fans and supporters are looking for. Number one, he can play multiple different positions. Uh, He's an outfielder. He can play a little bit of third base, so he can do both of that for you. But it's really the bat that strikes you um, as most impressive. He played at three different levels, all three levels, high A, double A, triple A, batted 289 and 862 on base, plus slugging percentage. Uh, last year in the Braves minor league system. He also had 17 home runs, 81 RBIs, 97 walks uh, in 133 games. So the offensive numbers are there. And again, he can do a little bit of everything. So when people talk about, well, we need bats, we need an infusion of offense. I think he's the first real big step for this Scott Harris committee uh, in moving in that direction. 97 walks, be still my beating heart. <laughs> Jay Hen could yeah. very well be a Hen and start 2023 playing with Toledo. So he ends up as a Tigers top 10 prospect. And when you're moving pieces, this is exactly the epitome of what you're hoping to get in return. Give him a little bit of an opportunity down in AAA. By the way, the numbers down in the Arizona Fall League where the best prospects, regardless of level, all end up at. Justin Henry Malloy was one of the best offensive players in the fall league. By the way, Colt Keith was as well. Good to see him back and healthy once again. But Justin Henry Malloy was mashing the baseball against the best and brightest prospects throughout all of Major League Baseball. Tigers also picked up lefty Jake Higginbotham, and then came the Greg Soto trade. Lone Tigers all-star from the last two seasons goes to the Philadelphia Phillies, and then in return, the Tigers do get one prospect, Nate, but they end up getting a couple of players who probably are a little bit more Major League ready than I think we've seen in a long time. Yeah, and they got basically you know, three hitters that they can control and have shown really good plate discipline and, again, might be transferable up the ladder very quickly right away. And, again, another infusion of offense that they can use and, again, potentially maybe find some hidden juice on the offensive end. Let's talk about Matt Veerling very quickly because, look, we're not going to spend a whole bunch of time on players who have already been in Major League Baseball because they're not prospects. 
But what I do like is the fact that all three of these players could end up as major league contributors. So many times you make deals and you're dealing for someone who's playing at A ball or at high A, and they have so many other benchmarks they need to clear in order to become major leaguers. These three players are already going to be major leaguers. All three of these players have played major league baseball. So the odds of this deal not working out in any way, shape, or form are very slim. Matt Vierling, an outfielder, really interesting numbers. Didn't know a whole lot about him, but as you dug deeper and as you looked into what Vierling could do, a lot of power, interesting speed. Nick Maton's an infielder. And I went and look, sometimes that you go through the batted ball data. Sometimes you look at exit velo and sometimes you just pull up YouTube. Sometimes you just want to see what they <laughs> yeah. did. Uh-huh. And I saw Nick Maton taking guys like Sandy Alcantara deep multiple times last season. <laughs> so for me, I like Nick Maton. And then on top of it, you get one of the great names in all of minor league baseball. Donnie Sands is in the building. Donnie Sands. He's he's a catcher who raked at AAA last year. He's a little bit older than most guys, but catchers always seemingly take a little bit longer to develop, and I love catchers who can hit. So, yes, Donnie Sands, you can come to our birthday party because Donnie Sands has a lot of ability, <laughs> and he has that chance, and, and much like Justin Henry Malloy, the walk numbers are really good. The power numbers are really good. I just like what Donnie Sands could potentially be, especially to a team that is looking for a right-handed option at catcher. They don't want to rush Jake Rogers back. I think that's an interesting setup. So perhaps Donnie Sands goes to Toledo to start the season, depending on how Rogers is doing. But you have options in that way. And for a team that just desperately needed some ball players, I feel like they just found three of them. They're already major league caliber players. And that's a big head start from a lot of other deals that you could see them making. We needed ball players. I like I like when you said that. We needed ball players. We needed depth. Um, the idea of a of an injury ridden start to the season just kind of leaving us empty handed the way last year did. There were a lot of holes to fill. Uh, is kind of terrifying. And I think in this move, you find three players that can provide you that depth and can provide you some sort of value right out of the gate and almost kind of like a safety net. If somebody goes down, we have that strong core that can rotate in and out. Coming up a little later here on the RTD presented by Carhartt, the new top 100 is out for Baseball America. At last check, the Tigers had three players in the top 100. They had Jackson Job, Jace Young, as well as Wilmer Flores. We'll see what that list looks like now. Meanwhile, a couple of different Tigers teams are making some changes to their ballpark, specifically their ballpark dimensions. We'll talk about that coming up in just a little bit as well. But for now, it's time to hear from the Detroit Tigers minor league player and pitcher of the year. First up, it's the player of the year who ended up hitting well over 30 home runs at the minor league level, took his talents to Detroit and became an important piece of potentially the future of the Tigers outfield. Kerry Carpenter joins us right now here on the RTD. Our season finale of the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt continues. One of the best stories of the 2022 season were the explosions of a handful of Tigers prospects. Parker Meadows, Wenzel Perez, Josh Crouch, players having their best seasons in the minor leagues. But nowhere was that more evident than my next guest. He had 30 homers and drove in 75 runs in less than 100 games in the minor leagues. That was before 
heading to the big leagues where his numbers held up very well, even hit six more home runs in just 31 games with Detroit. There is a big leaguer in the building. Kerry Carpenter rejoins the RTD. So talk to me and describe this incredible summer. Welcome back. Yeah, I appreciate it. I mean, this summer was like pretty surreal um, going through it. At some points, I was just like kind of overwhelmed by like what was going on and um, but like the whole experience was just such a blessing and, and I'm just so grateful for it. And, um, uh, it's, it's an amazing year to build off of. That's for sure. It's got to kind of feel like an out of body experience. So how do you stay in the moment in situations like that? Oh, wow. That's hard. That's something I, I, I mean, the, my faith in Jesus Christ does that for me. So, um, like it, it's just so easy to get wrapped up in everything outside. Um, but just like you said, being in the moment, um, like not thinking about your past, not thinking about my first two days where I'd struck out six times, um, and like staying confident worrying, not worrying about the future is, uh, easier said than done. But, um, something that I really wanted to try to do was, um, really not take the moment for granted. You mentioned six strikeouts the first two games. How do you just put that in brackets and just say, hey, you know what? This is probably just part of my initiation. This that was that was tough. Um, but you know, it was like it was it kind of like helped me realize that well, AJ did a great job too, but it, it just helped me realize like these guys are good and I gotta lock it in. Um like, I, I don't know if I thought that I was going to just go up there and, and tear it up or whatever, but um, something was off clearly. But um, once it locked back in, it was fine. And, and I know I can uh, compete at that level. So, But you figured it out. And being able to mm -hmm. fix flaws as you've gone along has actually been one of the reasons you've gotten to this point. I mean, what a year for you. I mean, we gave the numbers, mm -hmm. but now you take home – Tigers minor league player of the year on top of everything else that's happened this year. Tell us what that means and help us put that into perspective for you. It's a great honor. And, and I, I was telling somebody else recently, uh, the history of it, I don't know the history of it, but I know I'm pretty sure Riley won it last year. So uh, I think I'm following good footsteps if, I, if I'm following his, his track. So um, it's just like very, I'm very grateful and honored to get it. And um and I'm happy for Wilmer, too. You mentioned Wilmer Flores. He was the Tigers minor league pitcher of the year. And I remember yeah. you mentioning that you saw him down in spring training and, and thought that he could mm -hmm. dominate even the level that you were at to end the previous season. Double A right away. Mm -hmm. What impressed you so much about him back then? I remember talking to the guys and we faced him in a live like scrimmage or something. And we were just like, that guy's fastball. Like, that guy can play like at this level. And it was Robson and Zach short, maybe like we were, we were very impressed with him at, um, in that game. And then like the slider that plays off of it, I'm pretty sure he can command like three or four pitches. Well. So um, when he's got that fastball working, like I'm pretty sure it's tough to hit. One of the reasons that we do this show is because players and most importantly, people like yourself grow and change as time goes on we had you on this very show just after you got moved into toledo 
But before you made the big leagues, we asked you on this show what the moment would mean to you if you got the call to the big leagues. And I want to play back for you what you said. But let's just pretend for a moment that it's later this year or next year and you get that call that Riley Green got, that Spencer Torkelson got, that you're going to Detroit. Tell us in your words what that would mean to you. I mean, that would be one of the coolest days of my life because when you put so much work into something that you do and it's something that you do every single day um, and and we're doing it at the lower levels, we're doing it in college, we're doing it single A, double A, triple A, like wherever it is. But when you get to play against the best of the best, that's when that's when it's the most fun. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to win World Series. We're um, trying to do that in Detroit. So it's going to be like an amazing, amazing feeling. And and I'm just going to be very thankful and grateful whenever that day comes. So um, I'm it, it excites me. And I can't wait to call my mom and let her know. Is there anything you can add to that now that it's actually happened? Um, the call to my mom and sister was was really awesome. That was a, a special, special moment. But I think uh, that kind of encapsulates it. It's just like playing at the highest level. Um, that's what we do it for. And that's, that's the goal. And um, it's kind of where you figure out what you're made of. So um, it, was, it was an awesome experience. Last time you were on the show, we also talked about your late father who was lost to cancer about three years ago. And back then Mm -hmm. you mentioned just how many people who were close to him are also close to you. So one Mm -hmm. of the things that really stood out when you got called up, my first thought was, I wonder how many of his dad's friends have been reaching oh, yeah. out or showing up or all of the above. Did you get to share your big league call up with any of those people? Yes. Uh, a lot of them actually, um, a lot of them came to Detroit the first two days and then went, um, a few more came to Chicago, um, which was my like third day up there, but it was, it was really cool that they came and that they supported me and that like they just kind of dropped everything and, and, and came for a moment like that, which was really special, meant a lot to me. So um, it was amazing seeing them up there and, and I wanted to like thank them and give them some like and just like be around them um, while they were up there, share the moment with them as long as uh, as well as with my family. So. And I bet part of you felt like you got to share a little bit of that with your dad by having those people around. I know we talked Absolutely. a lot. I know we talked a lot about taking your lumps the last time we chatted. You played a lot of junior college baseball. And at this point, it feels like, and we kind of mentioned this just a little bit, that you've learned how to fix the flaws in your game and maybe even in turn turn them into strengths. Some players can never fix those things. That's a really hard thing to do. What made you able to do that? Honestly, uh, I think just becoming aware of my flaws, like and aware that they um, like could possibly keep me from like reaching my full potential even. So um, for a while I was a little stubborn and just wanted to do what I wanted to do. But um, like some people were so like great to me and, and pointed out some flaws and, and the fact that they 
did that for me was amazing. And then having the ability or just the desire to change them is, is a blessing that I haven't always had. So um, honestly, just feeling that like want to get better and want to change was the thing that changed. Who were some of the people that helped you discover that and help you become more self-aware? Yeah, my my uncle has always kind of been on me um, about like trying to like get better and do the next thing. But um, definitely Jacob Robson as well was like um, amazing, like telling me telling me the truth, telling me what I needed to hear. So, yeah, very thankful for those two people in particular. There's a lot of people that come by and give people like yourself affirmation and reaffirmation and continue to force everything that's going right. How valuable is it to have people who can actually tell you the opposite and to be very direct and honest with you? I think it's the most valuable thing that's ever happened to me. Um, the, like the only time my life has really changed is when people have told me the truth. So, um, just now I just kind of want people to be like, call me out if I'm doing something wrong in baseball and life and whatever. So I just want to be that person that, um, like I, I want to always grow and get better. And that includes my career. You were a 19th round draft pick in the MLB draft. And usually guys taking that late are at so many disadvantages. And you know the kind of stuff I'm talking about. The guy gets drafted ahead of you. He may or may not be as ready as you are, but he gets more opportunity. The next year, the same exact thing can happen. You are now the poster boy for guys who get drafted late. So what advice would you give a fellow 19th round draft pick such as yourself? I don't know. Me, Bo Brisky, and Garrett Hill are, are the kind of the poster boys. So I, I love them too. But I don't know. And advice, advice, I would just say you got to kind of bring the noise if you want to like play in the big leagues. Because um, like you said, like um, that's just how it works. Sometimes other people get more opportunities and stuff. But uh, that's just how the dice roll. And if you want to play in the big leagues, you got to stand out and bring it. We talked last time about that big swing change that you made going into this past season. How did that hold up yep. in big league pitching? It was, it was good. Um, there were some times where I lost it and it wasn't good. And uh, I did that in the minors as well, but um, when it was on, it was on and it succeeded at the highest level. So uh, that was exciting and confidence building for sure. Gary Carpenter here on the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. Congratulations on all the success this season. Congratulations on everything you've done to get to this point. It was really, really fun to watch you in the major leagues this season and continued success and continued opportunities in Detroit going forward. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Road to Detroit. I appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Thank you. That is Kerry Carpenter. He has made it down the road to Detroit. <laughs> A big thanks to Kerry Carpenter. So Baseball America came out with an updated version of their top 100 prospects. And at the last time we had spoke, the Tigers had three players on that list. It was Jackson Job, Jace Young, and Wilmer Flores. Now, it's only Jackson Job. The Tigers only have one player in the top 100. But I would say this. 
I do think that the Tigers have a better amount of position player talent than they've had in quite a while. Just because it hasn't gotten into the top 100 doesn't mean that there isn't anything there. I mean, we just got done talking about Justin Henry Malloy and somebody that I, I personally, I think Wilmer Flora should have found a way to still be on that list. I don't think Wilmer Flores has done anything to get him taken away from that, but Colt Keith had a dynamite season for about a half a year in West Michigan. He ended up with a shoulder injury. We didn't see him the remainder of the year, but hit over 300 with power and did it all at just 20 years old. Really, really impressive to see what he was doing going up against players that were two, three, four, five years older than he was. And then he carried that over to the AFL, the Arizona Fall League, and we talked about how good Justin Henry Malloy was. Well, Colt Keith was one of the best players in the AFL this past year. Hit 344 in 19 games with an on-base of 463. The fact that he's not being considered for top 100 prospect list is ridiculous. And <laughs> I'll just say it. It's because the fact is he got hurt and out of sight, out of mind. And if he was doing what he did in the first half into the second half, he would have ended up as a top 100 prospect. So He's certainly our pick for who will be another name that will climb into that top 100 in the future. Colt Keith will surprise absolutely nobody when he does exactly that. Meanwhile, Wilmer Flores will probably be just knocking on the door. The top 100 won't be surprised in the slightest to see him back in there. He had a special season in 2022. He was named the Detroit Tigers Minor League Pitcher of the Year, and he joins us right now in this edition of the offseason special that is the Road to Detroit podcast. When you talk to players around the Detroit Tigers minor leagues, they often use the same word to describe our next guest. Wilmer Flores joins us here on the Road to Detroit. That word is electric. We have harnessed that electricity to bring you the Detroit Tigers minor league pitcher of the year here on the season finale of the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. Wilmer Flores joins us. Wilmer, great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Great to see you too. Congratulations. There are a lot of good pitchers in the Tigers minor leagues. Jackson Job, Ty Madden, Reese Olson. What does it mean to you to be named Detroit Tigers minor league pitcher of the year? Thank you. It was great. It feels, feels really good to know about it because I, I, I just have like two years with the team. Uh, it means a lot because it, it's been a short, short time, just two years. And, uh, now I'm the pitcher of the year. Uh, that's, that's really great. You said it. It's only been two years. Mm -hmm. Two years ago, you were undrafted. And two years later, you're a top 100 prospect in Major League Baseball. There are a lot of teams that wish they would have called your name on draft day. So from two years ago to now, how have you changed in those two years? Uh, first of all, um, like I want to be a reliever to a starter. So that's the first thing. So it was hard for me because... And I was, I was a reliever before, so that was the first thing. And then I think that uh, my body has changed. I've gained weight, 
and my pitches are getting better. So it's been, it's been a lot. What made you want to change from being a reliever to a starter? Um, I think the Detroit staff, I think they saw, some, they saw something in me and they say he has to be a starter to, in, in our team. You read, you mentioned that your body has changed. I read that you also said at one point this season, you battled some fatigue or got tired at different points last season. How have you learned to take care of your arm? Um, well, I'm working on it. Um, I'm working hard to, to, to stay healthy the next year. So it would be different than this year. So we'll see the, the, the difference. I saw you said that endurance will not be a problem next year and that you want no. to pitch deeper into games. What are you doing now to help with that? Um, first of all, work the work capacity of my body um, with the strength program and that stuff. And then um, my delivery. I, I want it to be more efficiency. So... Um, I can throw with less effort. So uh, that would make me like throw longer, deeper, more innings and stay healthy. We're talking with Wilmer Flores here on the season finale of the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. So you did not go to instructionals after the season because your double A team, the team you were on, the Erie Seawolves, went long into the playoffs. So what did you do after the season ended? I took two weeks, two weeks off. No throwing, no lifting, no baseball. <laughs> just yeah, relax, just with my family and like my vacation, just two weeks. And then start working out. Tell us about that. So you start working out. Do you have an off-season throwing plan? Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, I have a program, um, a long toss program. Um, then like one week, I start throwing bullpens, uh, um, putting my pitches in shape. You got to throw to a few catchers this past season who might be in the big leagues with you someday. I know you've thrown to Josh Crouch, probably down in Lakeland. What is it like throwing to Crouch? Uh, it's good. He's a nice guy. I like him. I think I've thrown like three games with him. He's not been too much, but I, I like him when, when he's in the play. Something tells me you're going to be throwing to him more often in the future. You've also thrown to Dylan Dingler, who is another Tigers prospect. What yeah. do you like to throw to? He's really, he's really good. Um, he knows me pretty good. He knows me really well. Well, um, I threw like, I know, like 15 games with him. Uh, uh, now I'm pitcher of the year. That, that, tells, that tells us a lot. Odds are you'll get to throw to him some more in Toledo to start the season. And who knows, maybe at some point in Detroit. I know one of your goals is to make the big leagues as a starting pitcher. What are some of your other goals? Um, stay healthy. Um, and another goal is um, get my change up better. 
is one of them. Um, I don't know, just to be in, in a big leagues. You spent a full season in Lakeland, Gulf Coast League and Lakeland. And most of this past season, you were all the way up in double A. So how did the hitters get better as you moved up? My experience, not it's not too much the difference. Um, I think you're, it depends more in your perform. How are you performing? It, it, it will make the difference. So I don't see that they're too much better. Just a little bit. They are more, uh, uh, more talent, more level, but it's not too much. It's just a little bit. Here's one way you got better last season. Your curveball. You had a chase rate of nearly 34%. Your curveball was very good last year. You mentioned your changeup. How do you want to get that pitch better for next season? I'm working on it. So I want I wanted to to have uh aggressive drop and a little bit of run. Um and this and that's it, just throwing that throwing it like a fastball so it can it can go it can be a good pitch. You mentioned when you won pitcher of the year, a lot of your pitches run the same way. If most of your pitches run glove side, how do you get a pitch to run arm side? We're working on something that is called like same shift. Um, so it's easier for me when I throw like, um, when I throw the ball, I don't have to like pronate my hands. Like that's the way the most pitchers do, uh, like pronate. But it's hard for me to do that. So I have to focus on how the scenes of the ball are 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 set, and that's it. Just throw the ball. And that's really exciting because. That's one thing that the Tigers have really invested in. They've done a lot of work with the University of Michigan. They've done a lot of work in sports science, whether it's Dr. Georgia Giblin, or there's so many people in that building trying to make you more efficient. And it's nice to hear that you're actually seeing how that works. Let's talk about Kerry Carpenter. You know Kerry Carpenter. Well, you were named the pitcher of the year, and Kerry Carpenter was named the minor league player of the year so he saw you in spring training and said that you could dominate double a right away what do you know about Kerry carpenter the guy told me that he was the, the underdog like me uh, but it was amazing to watch him play in double a because we couldn't believe what what he was doing he had he had 20 home runs and we say like, why is he here? Why is he still here? Double A. So it, it was fun to watch. How good does it feel to be a top <laughs> 100 prospect? You might be one of the only undrafted players that as a top 100 minor league player. I would say it, it, it's, it means nothing for me right now. I just want to be in the big leagues, no, not a prospect, you know? Well, there is a Wilmer Flores in the big leagues. That is your brother. He led the San Francisco Giants in RBIs last season. So your brother's name is Wilmer. You have another brother whose name is Wilmer. Your dad's name is Wilmer. And your name is Wilmer. Help me understand this. Why is everyone named Wilmer? 
<laughs> Seriously, we don't know yet. We don't know. It's <laughs> 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 uh, not. It's not usual in Venezuela. But just one day, my my dad says, "I wanted to name like me." And, and <laughs> you, when you grow older, if you ever have a boy, are you going to name him Wilmer too? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> your brother spent five seasons in the minor leagues. What has your brother told you about how you can make the major leagues? We don't talk about the, the, the levels. Um, not the levels, but about how's the game, how to how's the hitter approach, how to approach them, how to how they see their pitches and that and that stuff. No, no, in a specific level, not to make the big leagues, just the game. Well, you might be asking him now how to make the major leagues. Eventually, you'll be asking him how to stay in the major leagues. We asked on Twitter if anyone had any questions for you, and Carlos had a very interesting question. He wanted to know if you know how to cook, and let me know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. Halakas? Ayakas. Do you cook halakas? <laughs> no, no. Who do you know that makes the best halakas? Uh, so oh. she, she does. She does. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> is that mom? Yeah. <laughs> Hayakas is like tamales, but only <laughs> much, much better. It's beef. Chicken, pork, there are olives, onions, raisins. There's a lot that goes into hayakas. It, do you love hayakas? Yeah, I love it. Is that your I one of your favorites it. or what's your favorite Venezuelan it, dish? It's it's one of my favorite, my favorite by this month, this summer. Very nice. Well, it's very good to hear that you're home because it sounds like you'll be able to have a few of those before you come back to Lakeland. Wilmer, I can't thank you enough for taking some time with us and spending some time here on the Road to Detroit podcast. I also wanted to say a huge thank you to Carlos Yen, the bilingual coordinator for public and media relations with the Detroit Tigers for his assistance with this as well. Wilmer, congratulations on a great season. Congratulations on Detroit Tigers minor league pitcher of the year and continued success as you work your way up to the Detroit Tigers. Thank you so much. That is Wilmer Flores. He is definitely on the road to Detroit. You knew we weren't going the whole year without Wilmer Flores here on the RTD. It was literally in the contract. We could not go the entire season without getting Wilmer on this show. And to watch where he started to where he finished last year, the Tigers have something interesting and worth watching into 2023. Not sure where he will start. Do you put him back in Erie? Do you put him in Toledo? Toledo has a chance to be kind of interesting now when you've got Guys like Dylan Dingler and Wilmer Flores, Justin Henry Malloy, Donnie Sands. Toledo is shaping up to have an interesting roster right out of the gate. So our thanks to Kerry Carpenter and to Wilmer Flores. Next up, there are some changes to some ballparks throughout the Tigers system. And we start at the top. Of course, the Detroit Tigers announced that they are bringing in the center field fence. They're bringing it in 
10 feet. Apparently, it was 422 feet and not 420 feet like it said on that big green wall. But they're moving it in. Essentially, they're wiping out the warning track, right? So they're bringing it in a little bit. And in that way, we're not going to see 419-foot flyouts to center field. And that makes me happy. We're not going to see any more of those metrics where this would be a home run in 29 major league stadiums, but not, but not this one. And I'm happy we won't get to see that metric. At least it'll I still don't know. be. You it'll be still careful. be. Yes, it'll still be very much a pitcher's park. But yeah, just in a way that that makes me happy as a Tigers fan. I think a lot of people just simply wanted to see something closer to fair. I think that's mm-hmm. what people were hoping for. And I, I think when the Tigers announced that Scott Harris was coming over from San Francisco, I think something important to consider was the fact that he was out there at their ballpark. And San Francisco's ballpark, also a very pitcher-friendly ballpark. So you knew that that had a real chance of continuing to be the case. But even then, they still saw a reason to bring a few of those fences in. I'm excited about it. I I don't know how much it's really going to make a huge difference. I mean, the balls in center field are the balls in center field. But, you know, bringing the outfield walls down a little bit to give outfielders a chance to go up and rob home runs, I dig that. I like that idea. I saw Riley Green play center field for a couple different years. I know he's going to take advantage of that. Well, and it's just the first step. It's just the first thing in, I feel like, in a list of potentially changing a lot of facilities, a lot of the infrastructure that we saw before, um, breaking down and rebuilding and making new and figuring out new ways, not just to make players more comfortable, but make their success more imminent by having better facilities to make them better players. So, you know, I think bringing the walls in and everything, that's that's fun, but I think that's just kind of the first step in this new administration's direction of we got to make some physical changes to make sure that our players are ready to go. More upgrades, so for what it's worth, Erie made some moves a couple of years ago. They basically had to, but you think about some of the other teams, and West Michigan, they just came out with a whole-scale operation to completely change everything that is the ballpark they have for the Whitecaps. We're talking about a mass renovation going on in West Michigan. Really excited to see that come to play over the course of the next couple of years. They're calling it a five-year plan, and I actually kind of dig five-year plans when they have more to do with the ballpark rather than the players on the field. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And looking at the blueprints and, and what we've gotten to see of those plans over the course of the next five years, there's so much to get excited about. It's important to remember that, and we talk about it benefiting the players, having better facilities, but that minor league experience, is it's not going to go away. Just because of facility upgrades, just because it looks different, just because we're adding a lot, the, the minor league experience, specifically in West Michigan, is still very much alive and well. It's just going to be that much more comfortable. It's going to be that much more spread out. And again, not just a better experience for the player who's looking to develop, but a better experience for the fan who maybe is coming out for the first time. West Michigan's manager, Brian Pena, I'm pretty sure already lobbying for an extra two-year extension beyond (laughs) his year at the helm coming into 2023. You know what else it's going to do? It's also going to change the dimensions of West Michigan's ballpark. They were considered to have 
one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks in all of minor league baseball. If you had looked at different articles, Baseball America put a couple out in the last couple of years saying that essentially West Michigan was one of, if not the hardest park to hit home runs at. And in some ways, that can you can make an argument that that mirrors Comerica Park. But it is a situation where it was so deep that, again, it needed to be a little bit more fair. So they're bringing the power alleys in. They're actually pushing the left field corner out about 10 feet, but it was kind of a wraparound deal, so it's not going to make a huge difference. But they're going to push the power alleys from 402 in the gaps about 20 or 30 feet closer. So I think you're going to see more home runs in West Michigan. They're moving the bullpens out into right field. They're doing a lot over the next couple of years. Really, really happy for them. They announced that project, and that all begins throughout the season here in 2023. And that brings us to the final curtain of RTD Season 3, and there are many people to thank for all their help in getting this podcast through another successful season. Thank you to the Detroit Tigers. Stan Fracker, the director of broadcasting for the Tigers, has always been so helpful and always has been in our corner. We appreciate all the help that Stan has given this show throughout the course of its series run. Meanwhile, the minor league baseball teams, whether it's Toledo, Erie, West Michigan, Lakeland, those teams, the players and the coaches who were always so able and willing to spend their time with us, it has been a joy to get to know so many of these different players at so many of these different levels. And those players, they always were happy to give us the opportunity. It was always really, really refreshing when we would hear a prospect actually have familiarity and know this show before we approach them about coming on this show. Some people do their homework, and we've said this before, and we'll say it again. This is just as much the players' podcast as it is the people's podcast. The prospects we talk about are the same people listening to this show. Also wanted to thank so much the front office in West Michigan. Those of you who know Nate and I, you know that Nate and I are also the broadcast voices of the West Michigan Whitecaps, and it would not be possible to do this show the way we have done it in recent years without the support of the front office, the higher-ups, the big... the leaders in West Michigan, whether it be the general manager, Jim Jarecki, the president, Steve McCarthy. There are so many people behind the scenes in West Michigan that have allowed this to be in addition to what we do in West Michigan and has just made things even that much more fun over the course of the last couple of years. It has not been easy because it is always something that is labor intensive. As you, as you know, minor league baseball teams play every day now. And now, except for Mondays, and that's the day of the week that we record the show. So some of us had full work weeks, and there were no days off, but we enjoyed it. Also wanted to thank the Michigan Association of Broadcasters for what they did for this show last year, helping kind of put us in the collective consciousness of not just Tigers fans, but sports fans all around the state of Michigan, coming home with the best sports feature from the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. Really, really appreciate their recognition of this show. So a huge thanks to the MAB. Uh, Thanks to Apple as well as Spotify for being just some of the platforms that have allowed us to get this message out over the course of the last handful of years. Also wanted to thank Cumulus Broadcasting. Lori Bennett in particular, who heads up Cumulus Broadcasting in Grand Rapids, allowing us to use their facilities, their equipment, their studio in order to record this show each and every week. So huge thanks to Lori and all the good folks at Cumulus. 
Also, Carhartt, who came on as a sponsor over the course of the past year and allowed this show to continue to move forward and to continue to move forward with more resources. And it's something that we couldn't have done without the support of those people and somebody that has been near and dear to our show over the past year, our thanks to Carhartt. Also, I couldn't do this without our producer, Nate Wangler, who is almost as important as Carhartt in this situation. <laughs> Nate, you've been on the ones and twos since the very first show that we've done. I couldn't imagine anybody else being on it. I've always appreciated everything you've done for this show, on this show, and with this show. I can't thank you enough for everything you've done. And I appreciate you for bringing me along. Um, I appreciate, you know, the Tigers for trusting me in this position. And, you know, the reason why I love sports so much um, it, it has to do with my teams and, and everything like that, but it's it's really the fascination with the individual players involved uh, with those teams. That's why I am so enamored by sports in general, and really it was their stories through this podcast and our ability to go behind the scenes and individually meet these players and understand them on a deeper level um, whether it's Riley Green fighting alligators uh, in his nightmares, um, Jackson Joe blocking his keys in Michael Fulmer's house and having to crawl through the window, Kerry uh, Carpenter working at Dick's Sporting Goods during the coronavirus, whatever it is, their stories um, not only made our lives easier in what we did as play-by-play broadcasters and being able to provide context to a game that maybe didn't otherwise have it to people that were watching, Um but it also helped us understand them on a deeper level, and it made the job just that much more fulfilling. Um, was it tough doing it on our only day off? Yeah. Um, did I resent that it was on our only day off some weeks? Absolutely. <laughs> I get it. Um, but I, I feel like it gave us a better look at these guys on an individual level, and it's so much easier to support them when you're not just looking at W's and L's and batting average and walks and strikeouts and so on and so forth. It provided that extra level. So thank you to all the players who had the willingness to get comfortable and share those stories. Because I, I know they've been in front of microphones and cameras before, but it's tough to get to that level. Um, but it's funny because a podcast provides you the opportunity to get to that level, unlike a lot of other mediums. So I thought that was really special. So thank you to all the players, too. You guys really made the show what it is. Watching the stories unfold. I mean, that's what makes it fun. That's why we're here. Plus, I almost forgot about Riley Green, Crocodile Hunter. So I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> Look, doing a podcast is ridiculously hard to do when it's being done consistently. And we did that for you. We did nearly 50 episodes of The Road to Detroit, many of them with two guests on the show. Did you know that on average, only 10% of minor leaguers end up making the major leagues, but that number goes well over 50% if you came on this show. Woo. And that's not counting some of the guys still working their way up the system. Look, I don't make the rules. I just report them. But again, here's what it boils down to. For you, the fact that you're listening to this right now, all of you for listening, and I'm going to be honest with you, there are changes happening all around. And we're not sure what the future holds. I'd love to tell you what things look like for this coming season, but we just don't know yet. What we do know is that if you've been listening to this show, like Nate was talking about, you've known more about these guys and sometimes girls, shout out Dr. Georgia Giblin, <laughs> than most of your friends. We've enjoyed it. We certainly hope you did too. Here's to many more prospects and their stories to tell in the years ahead.
This has been an off-season special and the conclusion of Season 3 of the Road to Detroit podcast presented by Carhartt. For our producer, Nate Wangler, I'm Dan Hasty. See ya! No one's been part of more first days of work than Carhartt. And in the same way rookies have to keep earning respect, Carhartt never stops earning the respect of hardworking people like you. From building rugged gear that's tougher than any first day or worst day of work, to re-engineering the classics to outwork the future. Trust your Carhartts to keep doing their job long after you've been doing yours. Since 1889, Carhartt's got your back 24-7. Visit Carhartt.com or visit a retail store near you.